welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. Now, today, uh, it's my honour to bring a word around True North. And uh, the, the, if I could give a title to the message, as if it were a song that you gave a title to, I'd call it Carry the Mountaintop. Can you say that with me? Carry the Mountaintop. And so I don't know about you, but I I have not had much experience with mountains. I grew up in coastal New South Wales where the closest thing to a mountain was the headland. And as far as I can see, the closest thing to a mountain here that we've got is maybe Point Perrin. I have no idea those stairs that, you know, we run up and down if we're crazy. And the hills, there we go. But I haven't had a lot of experience with mountains bar one. A few years ago, I had the honour of doing a motorcycle trip in Cambodia where we went from Phnom Penh and we travelled the 300-odd kilometres right up to the Cambodian and Thailand border on motorcycle. And it was a trip that was meant to take maybe six hours, ended up taking us two full days uh, just because the roads are atrocious and the cows, they are a life-threatening incident waiting to happen on the side of the road there in Cambodia. And as we travelled along, on the first day, somehow my motorcycle died. It died an atrocious, terrible death with spewing smoke and everything in between. I was heartbroken. No amount of prayer or kicking got this thing working again. We even got to the point where we tied a rope to my bike and onto another person's bike and he towed me all the way until I stacked it and just about smashed my arm off. It was so difficult. And so we left my motorcycle at a Cambodian chieftain's village. I slipped him a $20 bill and I said, please don't let anybody steal it. And he laughed at me and he basically said, nobody want to steal that hunk of junk now. He said it all in Cambodian, so it was much politer than what I said to you. And I jumped on the back of somebody else's bike and we travelled the rest of the way up to the mountain region of Cambodia. Dangrek is the name of the region, going to a mountain that was called Prevahir. The only mountain I'd ever seen. And we travelled the whole way with me on the back of the bike. I did everything I could not to reach around my hands and hug the right of it. I did not. I held on with the back. Even if it meant that there was a risk that I would fall off, there was no chance I was going to wrap my arms around the rider. But when we got there, we go up the steepest roads I've ever experienced in my life, travel all the way up to Prevahir to see the most beautiful mountain I've ever seen. And to be honest, it's the only mountain I've ever seen. Not only is it the only mountain I've ever seen, we actually entered into the only war zone I've ever been into at the same time. See, there was a conflict raging at that time between Thailand and Cambodia where they were disputing for prayer here. It existed in the Cambodian border right on the edge of Thailand. And the Thais were saying it's ours while the Cambodians were saying it's theirs. And so there were two opposing armies set up facing each other. Now, when I say prayer, a, a, a war zone, I don't mean like Hacksaw Ridge or any of those sort of movies. It wasn't like that. It was more like a war zone where you've got two armies who are having weekend duty, who when they get bored would maybe reach over the bunker and shoot some shots at each other. That was the type of war zone it was. And we happened to enter in during a season of ceasefire. And so we walked past the battlements and the guns and the bazookas all laying on the ground and waved at the army and we go up to the top of the mountain. Came through it all. 
And the moment we got to the top of the mountain, pray over here, we're able to look around and see everything around us. All of a sudden, it was like we entered into a holy moment. Covered in dirt, covered in grime, covered in whatever. Surrounded by two armies who were disputing. None of it mattered. It was as if when we got above it all, we were able to see not just differently with our eyes, but differently with our hearts. And I was there with a group of people and we split up and we went to different sections on top of the mountain and we just sat and I think we just sat for hours. It's amazing the difference in perspective you get when you get above it all. I could see the roads that took us to where we're going. I could see the direction we needed to go in heading back. I could see the opposition over here. I could, I could see everything, but it wasn't just the eyes, it was the heart. It gave me an opportunity to get above the noise and above the distraction and just be with God. And I've carried that moment with me ever since. I've carried the mountaintop with me. The things that God said to me, the things that I said to Him. When I came down to that mountain, while well, I'll probably never get back there again, I still carry it with me. And as we are talking about true north and what it means for us as a church to carry our true north, I want to submit to you today that all of us need to be willing to have a mountain experience with God, to set that deep in our hearts so that we can carry that with us wherever we go. You know, mountains are important in the Bible. They come up all the time. And mountains in Bible, you, you, you have accounts of people being tested by God. In mountains, you have people overcoming their enemies in, in battles, meeting. You, you have encounters of people meeting with God as if God is their friend on mountaintops. But for me, there is one experience in Scripture that has always stuck with me about mountains, and it's the account of Caleb's mountain in the book of Joshua. See, Caleb was a guy who was led out, like Em was saying, the, the, the people of Israel are led out of Egypt. They, they lived their entire lives as slaves and they go through the Red Sea and Moses is leading the people. And Caleb was one of these people that grew up as a slave, grew up as a Hebrew without a homeland, grew up as a person of God who was called by God, but did not know where to go with God. And as Moses comes on the scene and God has answered the cry of the people to lead them out of slavery, Caleb is somebody who's caught up for the ride and taken through. He spent his entire life serving the Egyptians. And then all of a sudden, God intervenes in their moment of time and they're led through the Red Sea. They're led through to a place that God had prepared for them, a land of promise. Caleb is somebody who sticks with me. Because when we pick up the story in Joshua 14, he's an old man at 85 years old. And the story goes that 40 years before this, he'd actually entered the promised land. 40 years before we pick up the account in Joshua chapter 14, verse 12, he had entered the promised land. He had gone in 40 years before, just after they'd gone through the Red Sea, just after they'd gone from place to place to place. Caleb had entered the promised land. 
See, he'd been drafted in as one of 12 people that were asked to go ahead of everybody else into the promised land as the whole camp is there on the edge of what God had promised them. And he goes with 12 others and they go into this land and they're there to find a way through, to lead the people through. Caleb was one of the 12 chosen because he was a faithful leader, somebody that could represent others before God. And as he goes through, the whole group are there to chart the course, to find the way that God would lead the people into victory. And as they get there, they get to a mountain called Hebron. And on this mountain, there's the most beautiful bunches of grapes that they've ever seen that two people have to carry, carry between themselves so fruitful back to everybody else to show them how profitable, how beneficial, how amazing this land of promise is. And Caleb comes back with that group. But unfortunately for him, as he comes back with all the potential stored up in his heart of what God was doing and what, where God was leading them as a people, as he comes back to the group, his story of God has called us to inherit this land is drowned out by another 10 of that group, 10 out of the 12, who said, we can't possibly do this. There's too many problems ahead of the way. We're best off going back to Egypt. What a story to live in. Imagine being Caleb, spending your entire life as a slave and all of a sudden to taste victory, but not just to taste victory, to start to see what God has called you to be to start to see what God has called you to inherit, to start to see what God is leading you as a people and to taste it, to see it, to experience, to be up on the mountain, to see beyond and to see where God is leading you and to come down from the mountain and carry that with you, but to have that encounter drowned out because of the lack of faith of others around. And so Caleb carried this back. And unfortunately, his story was drowned out by the other 10 who said, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. There's so many problems you don't understand. We can't, we can't, we can't. And because they said we can't and the people, the group, the multitudes agreed with them, their amen together was we can't. And because they said we can't, it meant they couldn't and they didn't. And so an entire generation spent 40 years walking around in circles, basically, in a desert as God waited for them to die in their lack of faith so that a new generation would rise up and would have the faith to take what He'd promised for them. And when I picked up the story there in Joshua 14, Caleb by this time is 85 years old. He's just spent 40 years walking in circles in the wilderness and what he says in Joshua 14, 12 took my breath away. Given this response where he had every reason to be disappointed, discouraged and let down. In Joshua 14, 12, he makes this statement after they've entered the promised land finally and he sees again the mountain that he first saw when they experienced the promised land for themselves. He said, give me this day my mountain. And he took it. He took it. He took it. He, he took it. 
He took it in the midst of everybody who was saying, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. For 40 years, he carried a different perspective, a mountaintop experience. And he carried that through the wilderness to the point where at 85 years young, I love it. He says boldly, I've carried this in my heart. I've stored it in my heart. I'm stronger today than I've ever been. Give me this day my mountain. No distraction, no holding back, no hindrance. I've been waiting, I've been holding, today it's mine. And he took it as his inheritance. How how do you do this though? I can't help but imagine myself in Caleb's shoes. Being a young 40 year old, I love it. (laughs) And entering the promised land for the first time, and going to that mountain for the first time and saying, this is a nice place to have a villa for the first time and coming back and having your voice shouted down by everybody else. I can't imagine being Caleb and saying at that moment, it's all good. I'm willing to hold on for the long haul. I don't know whether I would have or I could have. I don't know if given that experience, whether I would have been one of the others that just said, well, I guess you're right, we can't. There's something unique about Caleb that shifted that. For some people, I would say it's because Caleb kept his true north, regardless of what others were saying about it. That he kept his God-given vision, even when others were trying to shout it down. You know, a common scripture we look at about vision in the Bible comes out of Proverbs 29, 18. We often look at the older translations when we read this Scripture because it says what we want it to say. In the King James Version, which you often won't hear me preaching from because it was written originally in 1611, says Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. But what does it mean by vision? Does it just mean my personal goals or my personal desires. They're that original word that's translated vision in the original language means a dream given by God. What they're actually saying there is that a people with a God-given vision will not perish. People with a God-given vision. People who have been up on the mountaintop, who have seen with a different perspective and have heard what God is saying to them will not perish. You know, a more modern translation written more recently in the year 1862. It's a little bit more modern than 1611. Young's literal translation, I dare you to read that as your personal devotional Bible today. Beautiful, written in 1862. And it says, without a vision, is a people made naked. I just want the opportunity to say that in church. I think that's amazing (laughs) translation. Young's literal translation, everybody. Without a God-given vision, you may as well be naked. So please keep your clothes on. (laughs) Caleb was able to keep his God-given vision, but he didn't keep it just for himself. He kept it for his people. And I want to end quickly in the short amount of time we've got left, unpack what Caleb carried from the mountain to the people, if that's okay with you. 
And I think we pick it up again when we go back to the start where he's just entered the promised land. They've just come back with the group of 12 and he's saying all the good reports and the other 10 are trying to drown him out. If we just go back there, I think we pick up some key principles that Caleb carried so that he carried the mountaintop with him wherever he went. If you allow us to look at it, Numbers chapter 13, verse 30 to 32 in a much more modern translation, New King James. It says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And he said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. So he'd just come back. He's a young whippersnapper, 40 years old. Somebody's receiving that. <laughs> Love it. He's come back. The whole group of spies have said, the land's amazing, but the obstacles are big. So what's Caleb's response? He quiets the people and he basically says, let's go, we can do it. It's a simple response, but a bold response. It's a response that somebody who's carrying the mountaintop with them would give. Quiet, let's go, we can do it. Now, goes on to say what the others said, the other 10 that had been with him. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they espied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. See, that report took root. It took root to the point where that generation could not see the mountaintop. All they could see was fear, disappointment and discouragement. And that song got stuck on repeat in the camp as they played it over and over and over and over. But I want you to imagine being Caleb who sees the mountain, who carries it in their heart, who did everything he could to set the scene but was drowned out. Could have just said, well, blow that for a joke. I'm just going to go into the promised land myself then. Instead, he's willing to do the process with the people as they spend 40 years in a desert, as a generation passes and a new one is risen. Why would Caleb do that? Well, my theory is that Caleb did that so that he could go from campsite to campsite to campsite to campsite. And every time he would hear that we can't do it, they're too strong. We can't do it, the problem's too big. We can't do it, we need to pull back. He would quiet the people. Quiet the people, quiet. Turn to the person next to you and say, be quiet. Don't say shut up, that's rude. <laughs> be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. Instead, he would say, be quiet. Let's go. MJ. That was a very loud shut up. That's on podcast now. That's going to go out. I've named you. Everybody who listens to the podcast, please share it. 
Caleb comes in and says, be quiet. And he changes the narrative. I believe he changed the narrative from campsite to campsite to campsite. Be quiet. Stop talking about we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. Stop, 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 stop. Be quiet. Here's a new narrative. Here's a different perspective. Here's something I've been carrying from the mountaintop. Let's go. We can do it. Let's go, we can do it. Let's go, we can do it. See, I want to say to you, we live in a day and age where there is so much going on around us that the first step to being able to follow after the true north God has given us individually and together as a church community is to be willing to say to ourselves and those around us, be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Not in a way that tears down and destroys, but in a way that acknowledges that word that I'm hearing that we can't because God isn't with us is not true. It's not true. The truth is, come on, if you'll just stop saying that narrative, it's like by saying be quiet like that, here's what I imagine Caleb's doing. He's putting on the people noise-cancelling earphones. And noise-cancelling earphones are the most amazing thing because they're not actually silent. They're actually playing a frequency that cuts out the other garbage around us. And what he's saying is be quiet in God. What he's actually saying is, here, pop on these noise-cancelling earphones that play a different different frequency from heaven and you can carry that with you wherever you go. It's not a be quiet to be silent. See, the Bible says, goes on to say, talking about this idea of be quiet, quiet the noise. In Joshua 1.8, it says this, The book of the law shall not depart your mouth, talking about the Word of God, but you shall meditate. Can you say meditate? One more time, meditate in it day and night that you may observe and do accordingly to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Can you say prosperous? And then you will have good success. In Philippians 4.8, it says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, Maybe they'll listen to Caleb. Whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I want to say that we have to learn if we want to carry a true north with us to quiet the noise. The way we do that, I believe, is you learn to meditate on the Word of God. I'm not talking about reading it like a book. I'm not talking about reading. It is a book. It's got pages. But what it is, it's a living story about how God has invaded space and time so that people could know Him. That when I read the pages of the Bible, I read the mistakes, the failures, the successes of those that have come before us and I see myself in the story. And I say, I'm so grateful that God had patience with them because that means He has patience with me. In it are things that change the narrative that I tell myself. And so for me to be quiet in this day and age, I don't just be quiet and sit there with nothing. I need noise cancelling earphones. And I've got to tell you, that's what the Word of God is. And that as you're willing to meditate on it, what does it mean to meditate? Meditate means to set the heart on something, to ponder it, to chew it over, to replay it, to replace the narrative that's playing from other stations and lock in on the mountaintop that God wants you to experience. As you're willing to allow that to sit and to soak, it changes where we're coming 
from. Be quiet. The other thing Caleb said, he said, let's go. He said that with me, let's go. One more time, let's go. To me, this speaks about the fact that so many of us are waiting to go because we think we're not ready. I need more preparation. I need this to change. I need that to be done. But when Caleb is standing in front of the people and he says, be quiet, and he quiets them, he says, let's go. What he's saying to them and to us is that you are changed the moment you start the journey. The moment that you're willing to put one foot in front of the other, transformation starts and God prepares you and makes you new and reshapes you to be the person you're called to be. You've just got to start the journey. I know it's difficult. I know it seems daunting. I know oftentimes we don't know where to step, but if you just start walking forward in your faith and our faith taking hold of all that of which God has taken hold of us, He changes us along the way. That's why Caleb had the faith to stand up in front of a bunch of slaves. And say, you've spent all your life as slaves. You are not an amazing fighting force. Instead, we're people that should be running back. But here's what I say to you, let's go. Because of what God does in and through us. Let's go says to me the difference that you can make. The difference that you can make if you're willing to set feet to your faith and say, I'm going. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is speaking 28, 19 to 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.